So we're talking about choices. The seminar is called Choose Life, uh, which comes from, I suppose, the concept comes from either the film Train Spotting or uh, most likely from the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, where uh, God's people are told to read the, the curses and the blessings from the, the law to, uh, with the people in the middle, and one's on a mountain there and one's on a mountain there, and they choose this and you get life, choose this and you get death. And so at the end, everyone goes, We're going to choose life. And so we're talking about how to choose life, how to make positive life choices. And I imagine in a room like this, there's a, a scale of us, of where we're at as it, as it, as it regards our future, what we're, how we feel about our future. Um, hands up if you're someone who knows what you're going to be doing um, for the next five years. You've got your life plan sorted out. You know where you're going for the next five years. Hands up if you know what you're doing next year uh, or from September. Uh, hands up if you're scared of, or lo- someone who's particularly looking forward to. Let's do that. Looking forward to the future and all that it holds. Hands up if you're more on the apprehensive kind of, uh, it's a little bit nerve-wracking end of the spectrum. Um, hands up if you're more of a winter person. Hands up if you're more of a summer person. Excellent. That's got nothing to do with anything, but it's just interesting, isn't it? The summer people, look at those winter people and think they're the ones who curse us every year. When it gets cold in September, they say, oh, it's exciting because winter's on its way. And we think, I hate you. Um, it's the worst time of the year, September, when I'm sit, uh, uh, every year I have, a, I have a, like a summer house, a shed, like a, a, it's a, basically a posh shed in my garden where I sit and I can do work. And every year I'll be sitting there and at some point the geese will fly over my house because they're migrating south. And I think, you traitors, you're leaving us here to fend for ourselves in the winter. Um, so that's just where I'm at. I'm definitely more of a summer person. Um, hands up if you're, um, you know you're going to university when you finish uh, college. Okay, hands up if you know you're, going, you're doing an apprenticeship when you finish. There's a few of us. Hands up if you know what job you're going to do when you grow up. A few of you, okay. Um, hands up if you have no idea what you're going to do. There we go. There's a number of us. Um, there is an afternoon seminar, as Owen mentioned, where we're going to be uh, inviting a number of different people, people uh, representing universities, careers, apprenticeships, the gap years that we run as New Frontiers, uh, and some people just there to pray and offer some support and advice, hopefully to help us make good choices when it comes to our future. Um, I, just a, a little bit about myself. As Owen mentioned, I lead a, a gap year uh, called Impact that Chantel was talking about this morning in her interview over in the Big Top. And uh, I don't come from a Christian home. So for me, the, the big decision that I made in my life around 16 was to become a Christian, which set my life on a very different course from where I thought it was going. Up until that point, I thought I'm going to become a film director. That was always where I was going. I'm going to become a film director and I'm going to be like Steven Spielberg. And I was obsessed with Spielberg films to the point that I went on holiday to a town where Spielberg lives. And I drove up his private driveway just to try to see Steven Spielberg. And he drove in his car past me and, uh, and I, sat, I said to the person next to me I think that was Steven Spielberg and she went I think it was and I went weak at the knees I was like oh my goodness I've seen my idol but that's where I'm going I'm going to be the next Steven Spielberg I became a Christian and got involved in my church. Uh, I applied for the wrong university course that meant that I had no chance of becoming a film director because there was nothing to do with what I wanted to do. And upon becoming a Christian and getting involved in a church, um, I, I suppose I had my, my passions changed as I started to see the, this is the beauty of the local church and what it is, what it could be, what God's call on my life could be, and I made a decision to trust him with my life. Plus, I met a very pretty girl who was in the church and thought, well, that helped. I'm going to stay in the church and uh, get to know this girl a little bit more. And now we're married and have three children. And that was a few years ago. So there's plenty of options out there for you and for your future. Um, 
questions that you have to ask yourselves. What are you going to do this summer? What are you going to do at college? What career will you do? Uh, Should you marry someone? Who should you marry? Are you going to have kids? How many kids should you have? What uni should you go to, if at all? Um, What church are you going to be part of? What are you going to serve in at church? Are you going to leave home? And what are you going to have for lunch today? And you see, those are big questions, the choices that we have to make almost every day of our lives. You live in a time in history where you have more and more options available to you, which on the one hand is wonderful because it means freedom. On the other hand, it's terrifying because it means freedom. And I don't know what to do with my freedom. Um, we've been set free to go and change the world. And actually, I'd just rather play PlayStation or watch The Bill on television. Um, every year... Um, I ask Siri to make the majority of my choices for me. Uh, But Siri is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our life, or Alexa, if you're part of the the lesser class, the poorer classes. Um, Every year, every day, I ask Siri to organize my calendar for me. Um, And every year, no matter who you are, you have 31,556,926 seconds. And every one of them is going to pass you by, and every one of them is an opportunity for greatness. Or it's just another reason to reinforce the fact that you don't really know what you're doing, where your life's going. And there is a number of difficulties that we face around making decisions for our future. So I want to talk about a few of the the difficulties in our decisions, uh, what the Bible has to say about our future and God's call on our lives. We're going to get Chantelle up to share just some practical thoughts on how she's made some positive decisions recently. I'm then going to share just some advice on how to make decisions uh, using the the flip chart here. And then we're going to pray and see what the Lord wants to say to particular individuals and see how things go. But firstly, the difficulty that we have in making decisions. As I mentioned, there's lots of options out there for you. But there are also other reasons that make it very hard for us to make positive, confident life decisions. The first of them is the issue of unreality. Many of us live in a state of unreality without really knowing it. I asked my four-year-old recently, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said he wanted to be a dinosaur. And I thought, you're just, you're, you're deceived, you fool, you stupid child. You cannot be a dinosaur when you grow up. That's not how life works. But actually his answer was indicative of many of us. That we, ha- we make decisions about what we're going to be when we grow up that aren't based in reality. I'm going to be an astronaut. Really? How did you, you know, really? I'm going to be the next president of America. If Donald Trump can do it, then I can do it, which is probably true. Um, But we make decisions and we're not sure about how things are going to go for us. And often it's because we either have an overinflated opinion of ourselves. We live waiting to be discovered because, I don't know if you realize it, but I'm kind of a big deal. And we're waiting for everybody to realize just how much of a big deal you are. And I'm not going to make too many decisions about my future because... I'm just going to be discovered. I've heard about those people. Or you live at the opposite end of that spectrum, that rather than having an overinflated opinion of yourself, you live in unreality because you have an underrealized opinion and idea of who you are. You're down on yourself. You don't acknowledge the gifts and abilities that God's given you, the opportunities that are before you, and so you find it hard to make decisions. Unreality can affect us. The other problem that we have is the issue of expectations. The We are, many of us, stuck in a state of paralysis because of our desire to make constantly perfect decisions. We have believed, many of us, the same lie that Adam and Eve believed. That is, that this world can satisfy your every need and your every craving. 
Another word for it is idolatry. We look to the world and we think, I will make a decision that will bring me perfect satisfaction and peace. I will choose the right path in life and I'll never have any issues. But we find it hard to make decisions because we don't know what the right path is and so we're stuck in this place of paralysis. One author puts it like this. He says, when we marry... We expect great sex, an amazing family life, recreational adventures, cultural experiences, and personal fulfillment at work. He then goes on to say, it would be a good exercise to ask your great-grandparents if they felt fulfilled in their careers. They'll probably look at you as though you're speaking a different language because you are. Fulfillment wasn't their goal. Food was. Faithfulness, too. For many of us, making decisions about what we're going to be and do when we uh, grow up and leave education or get a job, we put an unhealthy expectation on those decisions to satisfy us. We are looking for constant fulfillment. A hundred years ago, um, if you'd have... I don't know, 100 years ago, there was no need for a careers advisor. Or 200 years ago, no need for a careers advisor because from the age you were old enough to carry a shovel, you were handed one and told, you're a farmer. Or you're going to work in the kitchen. Or this is what you're going to do. There wasn't need for choices. Now, however, we live in a different age. Another problem that we have is the issue of choice. Um, Barry Schwartz, in his TED Talk, describes going into his local shop and being struck by the amount of choices on offer to him just in his shop. He says that there were 285 varieties of cookies, 13 sports drinks, 65 box drinks, 85 kids drinks, 75 iced teas, 95 types of crisps, this is America, 15 types of bottled water, 80 different pain relievers, 150 lipsticks, 360 types of shampoo, 230 soups, and 275 varieties of cereal. We live in a world that is just abundant with choice. But choice can often leave you feeling cold and blind and confused. It can be hard to make decisions. And finally, we make it, it's hard to make decisions because of fear. Because what if you make a choice that means that you don't grow up to be the person who changes the world? What if you choose something that's wrong or bad for you? And as a result of that fear, we can, many of us, just be struck with, in a state of paralysis because of fear. Um, One writer helpfully talks about the difference between um, a circle of concern and a circle of influence. So this is you. Um, You have a circle of influence. Within this, you are able to make changes that affect your life and affect the lives of the people around you. Inside your circle of influence are things that are within your control. What are you going to have for lunch? Uh, What are you going to do when you get home from school or work? Um, your influence, how are you going to, what kind of friend are you going to be? What kind of child or son or daughter are you going to be? What kind of a sibling are you going to be? You have ability to have influence within this circle. However, many of us, most of us, spend a lot of our lives thinking instead about our um, circle, not of influence, but our circle of concern. There's many of things in the world that concern you, um, human trafficking or politics, current affairs, the the state of the economy, or or other things that might concern you just about the town that you live in, or the schools that that, that your kids go to, or that you will one day send your kids to, the things that concern you. And that's right, we have a circle of concern, we have a circle of influence. 
where fear stops us making positive choices is if we spend most of our time thinking and living in this circle, the circle of concern. Why is that a problem? Because you can't do anything about this. It's not within your influence. At your age, most of you, your circle of influence is actually quite small. You don't have too much power to affect too many people. However, through making positive life choices, through prayer, through stewarding carefully the gifts and responsibilities that have been given to you, you can expand your circle of influence to cover some of the things that currently concern you. The trick or the thing to, to be aware of now is, that, is to be aware that these two circles exist. And rather than worrying about the circle of concern, this is where your prayer life should be um, you be directed towards the things that concern you and this is where your energy should be spent so spend your prayers on the things that concern you and spend your energies on the things that you're able to influence but fear can affect us you know the, the word decide um, means to cut off and many of us may find it hard to make decisions because it involves cutting off of things it comes from the same root word as insecticide, which means to kill in, uh, insects, or infanticide, which means to kill babies, it's not nice, or patricide, which means to kill, fa- kill fathers, the death of your father. This side comes from that same idea. And so as a result, many of us are afraid of making decisions because we're scared of cutting things off. Because if I, if I, if I choose to say no to this and yes to this, what if? What if it's a sliding doors moment? And what if I, I make some changes in the adjustment bureau that can't be undone? If I'm honest, this is a large part of what scares me or concerned me about making choices for my future. As a young guy, uh, like, I suppose like many young guys, I was afraid of commitment and attachment to a particular girl. And I was in a relationship with a girl that almost broke up because of my concern of commitment. I was freaked out. And it's my, my lady who's now my wife, Amy. Um, I mean, if you see her, she is pretty scary. I mean, that's not her. That's her. Um, sorry. She's not that scary. As you can see, she's not an ogre. But for me as a young guy, I thought she's, the idea of committing to her is terrifying. Um, and at the time that I was thinking these thoughts, I used to journal a lot as well. And um, in journaling my thoughts, I wrote down one day, I'm not sure if I want to be with this girl because of all these reasons. And then... She was concerned about my attitude in the relationship, so she read my journal one day when I was out and read, I'm not sure I want to be with this girl anymore. So my fear now caused her anxiety and anger at this idiot that she was going out with. But for me as a young guy, I had to deal with fear of making choices. Eventually, I came to the conclusion, I'm a coward. And I learned from Jesus, he wasn't a coward. And in fact, if, if I want to be more like him, I need to stop being afraid of making decisions. And so I said, will you marry me? And she said, okay. And uh, that's how things have been going for us, which is good. Okay, so those are, our, those are the things that sometimes stop us from making life choices, unreality, expectations, choices, and fear. But what does the Bible say about your future and about your life? What is your life and how are you going to use it well and for this I want to do uh, a dramatic reading Um, and so um, Jake come here for me thanks if you could um, no you don't need to give him a round of applause he's just standing you don't give a man a round of applause for standing unless he's been previously unable to stand hold that if you could go to James 4 verse 14 please James 4 verse 14 
There we go. And could you come here as well for me, please? Could you hold this for me? Thank you very much. James 4, verse 14. Right, here we go. So let's light this. This is what the Bible says your life is. Uh, many of us think, like Katy Perry, that we're, we're fireworks. And um, we're just you know, going to go off and the world's going to be changed because we're hit. Oh, goodness. Okay. Thank you. Maybe that is your life, a metaphor that you start for a moment and then die. Okay. If we just keep burning it long enough, the whole shed will go up. Okay, great. So, um, Jake, could you read for us James 4, verse 14? Hold on. Uh, come over this side. Okay, keep looking at the... Oh, it's gone out again. Okay, fine. This is fine. Right, very good. No breathing allowed. James 4, verse 14. From where are we? Here. Be from there. What? What is your life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Okay, watch this. This is your life. This. See this? That is your life. A mist. Say it again. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Fantastic. Thanks. Wasn't that dramatic? Should we see that again? Should we see that again? Yes, I can see this is riveting stuff. We're going to do it again. And this time you know what's coming, so watch it. Could you read it for me? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is your life. Here it is. It's there for a little time. And it's gone. It's not gone yet. That is your life. Okay, thank you guys. You can sit back down now. And you can have some sweets for helping as well. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your life is a mist, which is nice. But what it should do is it should take some pressure off your shoulders to realize, ah, oh, I don't have to be something extraordinary. I can just be ordinary because I am just a mist. And actually, that's okay. That's what the Bible says about us. But let's look at some other Bible verses then that might talk about God's will for your life. And we're going to give out some sweets to people who can answer or fill in the blanks. This is Bible blankety blank. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. For this is the blank of God, your holiness, that you keep from sexual immorality. This is the... Sorry? Will, they, thank you, mate. Very good. Thanks for playing. I know it's a little bit patronizing, but we'll keep going. For this is the will of God, your holiness, that you keep from sexual immorality. Next one. Um, next one. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's blank is. Sorry? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for playing. There you go. Uh, let's see if you're right. This has gone off. Let's turn this back on. Is the will. Yes, well done. You got it right. Okay, next verse is, do not get drunk on wine, which follows on, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the... Who said that? Who said spirit? Right at the back. Oh, Sorry. Do you want to try again? Who said spirit? Yeah, look at all these hands. You're right at the back. Jamie Rouse. Oh, almost. Sorry. Okay. Be filled with the spirit. Next one. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving. Sorry? You get two for that. Giving thanks to God the Father in everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we go. So from the first few verses, we looked in Thessalonians and Ephesians, the will of God for your life is to live purely, 
to conduct yourself in a holy way, to be filled with the Spirit, and to give thanks. Simple, isn't it? So far, I haven't told you what job to do, but that's okay. Uh, because Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this means blank labor for me. Any ideas what that, mean, what that word is? This means, this is Philippians 1, 21 to 22. Huh? Hard labor? No, not hard labor. Pardon? Not great. Although you think it would be. This means great labor. Can't wait. Any ideas? I mean, if you have a Bible, you can cheat. Which, or not cheat, you can just, you know, do the, the activity. This means, anybody? Should I just eat it myself? We get another dramatic eating? What? Much? No, not much? All right. No, fine, I'll eat it myself. This means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful, okay? Next one. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear blank, blank that will last. Sorry? Who said that? Hand up. Said the F word, fruit. Should be clear. No one wants the sweet. Anyone? Go on, Sean. Anybody else want one? There you go. Well done. And again, okay, fine. Fruit. So the Bible says that the will of God for you is to live holy, it's to be filled with the Spirit, it's to give thanks, and it's to produce fruit. Fruit, like good things that endure and do your life good, that you become more like Christ. And that fruit comes from being a Christian and abiding in Christ. Simple, yeah? So far, it should be. Okay, now, Chantel, let's get you up, and you can just, if you could share for us, a, recently in your life, I know you've had many options to choose from, and if you can talk us through the process by which you made a positive choice. Chantel. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so you would have heard some of my story um, earlier, but, what did you say? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, if those of you who don't know, I've just come into the end of my impact year, the year that Jez leads. Very well done. Um, so yeah, so you do a year and coming towards the end, I was like, what am I going to do after this year? Um, I knew university wasn't really for me. I applied the year before and it didn't really work out. So I was like, okay, what do I do? So I've had three decisions to make. Um, or three options to make one decision. So I was offered three potential roles, um, which I'm going to explain to you what they are. So the first one was one that I was really, really praying for throughout this year, which was a full-time job at my church that I'm working for at the moment. Um, so that would become a full, full-time youth leader role. Um, I'd be starting the youth group from scratch. Um, however, the pay was not great. Um, the next one was I've been offered, so for those of you who didn't, didn't hear again, I worked in Superdry, so a retail shop, um, and I was just a normal sales assistant, but I've been offered a full-time supervisor role, um, which meant it was a lot higher pay, more responsibility, I could lead on to better things, I could become a manager potentially, um, and actually, between money and where it's going to lead me in the future, out of all the three, the last one you'll hear in a minute, did seem like the best option. Um, the last one was a chance to work with, well, not with Jez, but at the Eastbourne site, 
which um, I got an email around. It was like, we're looking for a female youth leader. So I was like straight on that. I was like, yes, please. Um, and that included a university course um, to help with the youth, youth work there and it was paid. So in the space of three weeks, I had three massive decis decisions to make and two to potentially turn down. Um, so of course, they all had their pros and cons. I've just listed a few of them. Um, but the main ones for me were, if I was to stay at home, I wouldn't really grow in what I was doing. I would still have to live with my parents. I would sort of not be in a new place. Um, sometimes going to a new place, you learn a bit more about yourself. But I would have to stay in that place and actually might not have grown as much as if I would have stepped out and gone somewhere further. However, the pros are, I'm comfortable in that place. I already know my surroundings. I know what I'm doing. Um, it's paid, obviously. I know it's low pay, but I'm still being paid. Um, and actually, it's local. I don't have to pay rent because I live with my parents. They've been very gracious through this year and, and hopefully next year, <laughs> um, God willing. Um, then going on to the super dry job, obviously, it was a lot more stress for me becoming a supervisor from a sales assistant. Um, I'd worked there for three years, so I'd know my, I know the ropes, I know what to do, but it would be a, a high responsibility for me, and I'm not sure whether I would crack under pressure and that would become too much for me. Um, as I said, it leads on to better things for me, and it's more money, so again, it seemed like the better decision. And then finally, the Eastbourne job, um, the drawback to that was I'd have to financially budget for myself because I wouldn't have my parents around to help me out with money, I wouldn't have them to sort of have a house to live in. I'd have to move in with someone or move in potentially on my own. I'd have to leave home. So this year I've just moved in my, with my dad and his wife and my two little sisters and I've absolutely loved it. So that would mean packing my bags again and having to move somewhere else. Um, but then I get, a uni I get a university course. I would get a job that I'd love to do. So I've got such a heart for youth work um, and obviously it's paid again. So I had, really, really tough I had a really, really tough decision to make. Um, but how did I come to the decision ultimately? Um, so the decision that I made was to stay with my local church and to start the youth group in our, one of our other sites, the Bromley site. So from September, I'll be a full-time youth worker for our Bromley site, starting the group there. But how did I come to that decision? So I would obviously had to, I obviously had to weigh what was best for me. So I'd have to say what, what my pros and cons were. Like I just did, I literally wrote a list and I was like, pros of this, pros of that cons of this, cons of that, and actually to have a visual in front of you and to be like, okay, well, this clearly has so many more cons and pros, it's, sometimes it's a little bit more obvious than you think. So that was a massive one for me. Also, timing. So in my stage of my life, what, what would benefit me the most? Where would I see myself going more? <clears throat> and what actually would help me in the future? Um, so... I don't think necessarily the super dry job would have been great for me right now, just because, one, I'd been there three years and I'd sort of almost lost the passion for it a little bit. So I was, I'd go into work, but not to really strive to do the job. I'd just go in to get paid at the end of the day, really. Um, so then I started to get really fed up because I was like, all right, I've got three decisions and sort of, they were still really, really hard to get sort of to a, an ultimate decision. So obviously the obvious answer is to pray. <laughs> so I did, and I really, really prayed about it for such a long time. And it was actually on the last impact training we had that I found out about the super dry job. Um, and it was literally halfway through the meeting, I was just like, really? Another thing to add to Like, it's such a great place to be, and I'm so grateful that God's given me all these opportunities. But 
it's almost like, oh my gosh, there's so much to weigh up. And actually I've learned so much for myself that it's grown me because I've had to say no to things. I'm always someone that says yes. So actually I, I know that God's worked me through that. Um, so yeah, as I was praying, I really felt God put Psalm, sorry, Psalm 27, verse 14. No, not verse 14. Sorry, I've lost it now. Yeah, it's verse 14. So it says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I just felt that God said to me in that moment, just wait. You're trying to do this all in your own strength, trying to write all these lists, trying to sort of try and organize things, but actually just wait for me. I'm going to close doors. I'm going to open doors. And that's what he did. So with my super dry job, there was quite a few doors that had been closed. There was people that come in and going for interviews and things that actually fitted the job a lot better for me. So that made it a lot easier for me to say no. Um, so I did. I said no to them and I said, I'm so sorry, like obviously in that whole environment. Um, and then for the Eastbourne job, it was, it was obviously a lot, it was very hard for me to pick up and pack my bags and leave my family. So I live in South East London in um, Bromley and Eastbourne's about an hour and a half, two hour drive. So, and I don't drive, so it'd be a long train journey. Um, back so I just think although it seems like such a small thing for me a small thing for you guys it was such a big thing for me and it just didn't sit well with my heart and how I felt I was not at peace about it Um, and then I got told literally after I said no to both opportunities I got told that the job at Hope my my church um, actually was 90% I wouldn't get it and it wouldn't be accepted so then I said basically no to three options. And I was like, oh God, like really? I've just closed two doors and now this third door's potentially closed as well. Um, but again, I just carried on praying. I was like, God, if this is from you, please open these doors. And door after door just kept opening financially, physically, just emotionally, spiritually. There was just, I just grew and I just knew that I was right for, and this was right for me. So I went into the elders and I was like, right, please <laughs> can I have this job and we wrote I wrote a proposal and it got accepted three weeks ago so yeah but um yeah what I'd say is if even if you feel lost at the moment and you don't know what you're doing God has a plan and actually just wait on him and just that's that psalm was just so powerful to me and I was trying to do it all in my own strength but actually just give it all to God and say God I'm really struggling with what I'm deciding to do or I don't know if this is right. I don't know if that's right. But actually, God will close the doors. God will open the doors. All you've got to do is trust in him and lay it down to him. Is that good? Yeah, thanks, Chantel. Fantastic. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, he said, listen, I'm the vine, your branches. If you stay connected to the vine, if you abide, remain, hang out in me, then you'll bear much fruit. And when it comes to thinking about our future, part, firstly, we want to try to take some pressure off your shoulders. Those things that we talked about at the start of unreality, over-expectations, choice, blind, and fear, common to all of us. However, in Christ, you can be confident that God will cause any decision that you make to bear fruit, providing your abiding, remaining in him. Elsewhere, Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else you need will be added to you. He's a father. He cares about you. So let's just take some pressure off, okay? God is not looking to you to become the next 
I don't know, superstar. He's looking for you to remain in him, to be faithful with what he's given you. And what I loved in what Chantel was sharing is just the various ways that we as Christians then approach our future and make decisions. She talked about discussing it with friends. She talked about praying. She talked about um, listening to God. She talked about peace and stuff like that. And I want to just sketch out for us, using a, a graphic here, just some advice or some tips on how to make practical decisions when it comes to looking for guidance from God. I often think of it in terms of this. Um, if you think of life as a football game, which I know we all do, right? Life is a football game. Then the aim of the game is to score a goal, right? Or, or, or in this example today, um, what we're looking to do is to make a positive decision about our future. And in making a positive decision about our future, if you like, it's making a goal that we move towards, or it's, it's scoring, it's doing something positive, rather than being you know, struck, stuck in paralysis mode because of choice or expectation or fear, we've made a positive decision about our future, and that means scoring a goal, and we can get excited about that if it's a positive decision. But how do we know what the right decisions are to make? A few things. Firstly, the commands in Scripture. Okay, in the Bible, there are certain commands And they act for us as boundary markers in our lives to stop us doing something immoral or stop us doing something that's going to take us off the track of God's best for us. The will of God for your life is not a narrow path that if you make the wrong choice and choose a blueberry muffin instead of a chocolate muffin, you'll miss it. The will of God for your life is not a narrow choice. He does not say you have to do this job and no other job. Instead, it is a broad, open space that within these boundaries, you can play and have fun. It's like if I take my kids to the park... And they'll say, what should we do? I'll say, play. Just don't go outside the park and into the road and play with the traffic. Stay inside the park. The commands in Scripture act for us as boundary markers then that keep us in play, stop us doing things that are going to disqualify us. And those are most of them obvious commands against immorality or just unwise life choices. Jesus, again, if you seek the kingdom of heaven or seek first the kingdom of heaven, everything else will be added to you. It's a command in scripture. While you're doing those things, you are within play. And you can make any kinds of decisions you like and they'll be positive. But to help us make wise life choices, we have a few positions or a few kind of um, players that can help us. The first thing to consider is, um, let's do this. I'm really bad at drawing there we go is your goalkeeper isn't it firstly in life you have a in a football game and in life you have a goalkeeper the goalkeeper is the friends in your life the saints the church your parents they are people who give you good advice wise advice and also stop you conceding or making poor decisions because you're learning to trust them. That's the point of a goalkeeper, isn't it? It's to stop you conceding a goal, to stop you making a poor decision. In your stage of life, this initially looks like your parents. You are commanded in Scripture to obey your parents. So if you want to do something and you're adamant about it, but your parents are saying no, you need to listen to the goalkeepers in your life, the people that God have put there to stop you conceding and doing something unwise. Now, you might disagree with your parents, and of course, depending on the relationship with your parents, I'm sure you're able to reason with them and discuss it. But 
you are called to obey your parents. However, it's not just our parents. It's the wise leaders and friends and pastoral advisors and careers advisors that are in your life. You come across them in various guises at different stages in your life. They are put there by God to help you avoid conceding and making poor choices. They're there to protect you. They don't make decisions for you. You have to make the decision, but they are there as a safeguard, and as a, a stopgap to prevent you from conceding. When I was uh, 19 or 20, I was at uni, I was in my third year, and I met this girl on campus who was really nice. She was called Angie, and uh, she was very pretty, and we, like, we got on well, and um, we kind of became close friends, and I thought, I, I like where this is going. She wasn't a Christian, but that's okay because she was kind of Christian because she was very friendly and very polite and she didn't swear like some of those bad people. She was lovely. And so I thought, I'm sure it's fine that she's not a Christian. I sat down with some of my my friends from the church. I said, you know, I'm I'm thinking of going out with Angie. What do you think? And one of my friends, I can remember it to this day, he said, I think you're stupid and you shouldn't even be entertaining that idea. So I thought to myself, it's a little bit harsh. She's nice. This is nice. She makes me feel nice. I'm happy when I'm with her. She's friendly. We get along. We have a lot in common. And he said, you're stupid because you're a Christian. You've decided you want to follow Christ. Is she going to help you get closer to Christ? Is she going to help you grow in your relationship with God? And so, reluctantly, I listened to the counsel of my friends who God has put there to help me make wise, wise choices. And so I spoke to Angie, or probably just text her. I spoke to Angie, or text her, and said, no, sorry, Jesus says no. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say God doesn't like you, therefore. I didn't say that. I just said it's not right, it's not right for me. I don't think this is going to go anywhere. It was a difficult decision. However, this has a silver lining because three months later, uh, a girl turned up on campus who's now my wife, which is lovely. And if I'd have been with Angie, I would never have been available for the girl who's now my wife. So, friends, listen to your friends and your parents and your advisors because uh, if you don't, bad things could happen. Anyway, but in my experience, I listened to them. It's difficult to do so, but they acted as a goalkeeper that stopped me making a poor decision. It's not just in relationships, but in other areas in my life. There was an opportunity... Years ago, that was presented to me uh, in leadership to increase in leadership responsibility and influence and do something that was going to be very, really quite glamorous and exciting. And a lot of people would have known about me. And I thought, I really want this because this, I'm going to get to stand on some big stages. And I thought, I want this. But I, I knew that I was compromised because I didn't just want the opportunity to serve, I wanted to become somebody. And so I, I said to my, um, my mentor at the time, I said, I've been given this opportunity. I don't feel able. I'm compromised. I don't feel able to make this decision. What do you think? Do you think this is something I should do? And he said, no. And I thought, I'll ask someone else. <laughs> he said, no. And then he phoned the people that had offered me this opportunity and said, he's not going to take it. And I was like, okay, fine. And I'm, it was difficult at the time, but I listened to him. And now years on, didn't have that opportunity, but instead find myself in a situation that's much more suited to my gifts. Um, Turns out I'm not a big stage person, I'm more of a little stage person, but that's okay. Or I'm in an environment where I get to be myself and use the gifts that God has put me. How did I get there? By listening to the goalkeepers, the people that God had put in my life. They are the council of saints. These all, these all are, are CSs. We've got commands in scripture, council and saints. And then the next one is the defense of common sense. 
the defense of common sense, and again, you have to bear with the um, bad drawing. Okay, these are, these are, yes, okay, there we go. Yeah, okay. It's about as exciting as watching a man blow out a candle, isn't it? Okay, there we go. Again, in football, you have a defense. And the defense are able to make, they're able to make plenty of decisions. They're able to score goals. The defense are very, very important. This defense represents your common sense. God has given you common sense. Some of you more than others. Some of you not very much common sense. That's okay. We can grow. Those of us who are with me, I don't have much common sense. But you've been given a common sense. And the common sense that you've been given by God is able, and it's, in many respects, it's all you need to make a lot of and most of life's big decisions. Because we're going to come back to this in a moment, but common sense is essentially knowing who you are, knowing the gifts that God's given you, and living wisely with those gifts and choices that God has given you. The common sense. Um, for me, in the last four, four, four and a half years, as a family, we moved from Eastbourne to Seaford to be part of leading the church there. And we did that not because we saw a, a sparrow in a sky or a rainbow or got some miraculous sign. We did it because, again, I looked at my gifts, I looked at my passions and thought, this makes sense. Let's do this. It's a big decision. Scored a goal just by using my common sense. How about that? Um, the next one is the, is the midfield. And um, here we go. Oh, that's really bad for the pressure to draw. Oh, no. Okay, fine. Da, da, da. Okay, that's really bad, isn't it? Seven. Hey, we'll go for a 4-3-4 four, four formation. Yes. No, 4-4-3-3. Four, 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 three, three. <laughs> Your midfield. The midfield is this, the confirming spirits. Essentially, peace. Uh, a sense of confidence that God has spoken about something. Um, this peace that God has given you comes often as a result of praying for things, considering things, knowing who you are again. And the peace that God has given you can prevent you from scoring, for, c- prevent you from making poor decisions, conceding. Um, because, again, God's put your conscience there, and your conscience is to be listened to and not violated or not stepped on. We're to be sensitive to our consciences, sensitive to the peace of God in us. Chantel talked about that, and she's weighing up our options, looking for the peace, what gives her most peace. But also, the peace that God gives you is enough to enable you sometimes to score goals, to make some impressive life decisions. As a church in Seaford, we've just taken up a few um, weeks of gift day where we've been asking people to give money towards the buying of a building in Seaford. The purchasing of this building has come about really because of a sense of peace from God, a sense of calling and God speaking that we acted on. So years ago, I was out praying near my house and asked God if we could have this building in the town. And in my gut, in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, I felt God say yes. And I thought, oh, okay, I must be weird. This must be the pizza I had last night. But I felt God say yes. And so I then, several months later, got in touch with the minister of the church that met there. Because of, again, a sense of peace and call that I had from God, I asked her out for coffee. And it was going to be awkward because I knew she had a church that met in this building. But I was going to ask her, can I buy your building? And I didn't have to because she came up with it and said, I guess you want to buy a building. We're selling one. Do you want this? 
Okay, I said, we'll have that. Again, just because of the peace of God, we're able to make decisions. Similar thing happened with my wife, um, where again, I didn't have a a sparrow across the sky. I didn't have the the liver shivers. Um, No magic eight ball told me what to do. Instead, I read the Bible. I got a sense of confidence from God that I could commit to this girl. And I said, will you marry me? She said, yes, and that's good. So that's the midfield. And lastly, in any football team, you want your strikers. And uh, your strikers are there to help score goals. Oh, my goodness. Okay. There we go. And your strikers, in this sense, are circumstantial signs, things that happen that are unusual, out of the ordinary, that enable you to make easy choices. And we want, most of us live wanting circumstantial signs. We want prophetic words. Um, we want unexplainable, inexplicable events. To Before we'll make any decisions about our future, we live longing for our strikers to do all the hard work. However, in life, God has given you a whole team to enable you to make positive decisions. And even without the players on the pitch, you've still got the commands of Scripture and you can just have fun and play within what God has given you. Uh, Friends of mine uh, have been weighing up what to do with their life. They felt God tell them to leave the town they're in and to go be part of a church somewhere else. They've been praying for a long time. And they were considering whether or not they should go to Edinburgh, uh, of all places. Um, But they were considering whether or not they should go to Edinburgh. And one day they were driving into town and a bus went past them that had the word Edinburgh on it. And they thought, oh, this is exciting. Maybe God's speaking. Because they started to see, are there some circumstantial signs happening in my life? After that, they went to church one morning and they said, God, I'm just tired of this. I really want this dilemma and deliberation to end. Help us make a decision. Someone walked up to them, didn't know what they were thinking, and said, I just feel God telling me to tell you Edinburgh. And he didn't know what, why or why, why for, but for them, that made perfect sense. And as a result of that, they were able to make an easy goal, an easy win, make, it, make a big decision in their life. It's wonderful when you get prophetic words or circumstantial signs that enable you to make choices. However, God has given you The defense of common sense, he's given you keepers that can help. He's given you everything that you need to make decisions and to make choices. We mustn't look just for those rainbows across the sky, liver shiver moments. Instead, the Bible says, um, rather than just looking for all of those things, we are instead, I want to talk a little bit about the defense of common sense. Sometimes considered less impressive or less definitive, but it isn't. Common sense, I think, is essentially two things. Wisdom and self-awareness. Wisdom and self-awareness. Wisdom, again, wisdom is different from knowledge. We live in a society that has more knowledge than ever before. On Google, you get hundreds of thousands of hits about the most meaningless of, I don't know, searches. Wisdom is different from knowledge. Wisdom is this. It's knowing the right thing to do when the rules don't apply. It's knowing the right thing to do in the majority of life circumstances when the rules aren't going to help you. The Bible isn't going to tell you which uni to go to or whether to go to uni. You need wisdom for that. And God has given you his spirit, the spirit of wisdom, to enable you to do that. So how do you get wisdom? Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you want to, if you think I'm not a very wise person, I don't have much common sense, here's how you can grow. Start by fearing God, making choices that put God first in your life. Next, 
The Bible says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And finally, in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You get wisdom by fearing God, by asking God, and by, again, spending time with the people that God's put in your life to sharpen you and to strengthen you. So common sense looks like wisdom, and it looks like a growing sense of self awareness, understanding what your gifts are, understanding what your abilities are, what your passions are, how God's wired you. And to help with this, there's many different personality tests, strength finder, Myers-Briggs, work out your love language, lots of things that you can do online that are free tests to help you gain a better sense of self-awareness, to help us navigate between the extremes of an overinflated sense of who we are and an under-realized sense of who we are. And we don't want to live between those two. We, want, we don't want to live in those extremes. We want to live in the middle. So that's the defense of common sense. And lastly, I want to read Ephesians 2 verse 10. Did I put it on here? Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you are God's handiwork, his artistry. And he has, you, he has created you in Christ in order to do good works. God has a plan in store and in mind for you, and it's good works. As we saw earlier in the Bible, God's will for your life looks like holy living, being filled with the Spirit, and giving thanks in all occasions. It looks like abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. You can have confidence that God has taken hold of you to cause you to bear fruit. Mist though you are, that appears for a moment and then disappears, God is interested enough in your life and has put things in your life practically to help you make those decisions. We're going to finish by praying together and spending some time in worship, seeing what the Lord has to say. So just stay where you are for a moment. I'm going to pray and we'll see what the Holy Spirit has to say and then um, take it from there. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've put good things in our lives to enable us and to help us make positive life choices. Thank you that though we are um, just grass that appears and disappears, though we're just um, mists that are only here for a moment in the history of time, Yet as people, you've put your love upon us. You have created us in Christ Jesus. And you've done that for good, for good works so that we can bear fruit, fruit that will last. I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters here today, that whether they, whether they feel confident about their future or whether they feel uncertain about their future and anxious about it, I pray that you would give them, God, a peace and a joy that comes from facing what you've got for them. Because as believers, we know that the best is always yet to come. As we trust you, as we abide in you, we're able to bear much fruit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us now. Come and bring peace. Come and bring some confidence to people. Come and bring some guidance. As we worship Jesus and look to him, I pray that you would speak to us. Amen.